Yeah, well, you know, it, it is. It is very entertaining. Oh, hey, uh, welcome to, this is a landmark day, by the way, folks. This is season four. Count them. Four. Four. Episode one of Niagara 411 Live with Lee Sterry, fueled by Gales Gas Bars, powered by WeStream. We are supported by Virgin Insurance Group. And standing out here in the office in this uh, beautiful sort of uh, subdued lighting, uh, I noticed that uh, there is going to be still this year something that has never changed and will not change from 2022 to 2023 is uh, any downtown you want to pick, any downtown at all. The most entertainment for your dollar that you're going to get is trying to watch somebody parallel park going in nose first. <laughs> With, without a doubt, that is the most entertainment you're ever going to get and not have to pay a nickel for it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I just watched two or three of them. It's like, welcome to the new year. Happy new year. We're going to take you into Fiddler's Poor House as per usual right here at 149 St. Paul Street, downtown St. Catharines. But this is for all of Niagara, all 12 municipalities which still exist in this new year, uh, including the region. And uh, we're going to uh, look back a little bit and we're going to look ahead a little bit. And uh, it's uh, it's not a bad day. I think I think we're talking about maybe five, six, seven degrees Celsius out there. Uh, but here we are in the warmth and the coziness of uh, a really old style pub at Fiddler's Poorhouse. So uh, we're almost uh, well. We're I guess we are there. We're at lunchtime. So come on in. You're always welcome. To come on in, grab a bite, have a pint and um, spend some time with uh, Kevin Jack of WeStream and myself, Lee Sterry at Niagara 411 Live. Season four, episode one, it begins in just seconds. Come on in. Hi, uh, it's a whole new year, so uh, I have to get I have to get acclimatized uh, to doing this again. I'm rusty <laughs> since uh, 2022, considering it was just uh, last week. How you doing? How was your How was your uh, New Year's celebration? I know they've changed um, over the years, especially since the, our COVID era we did kind of the same thing that we normally did got together with friends sort of house gathering sort of stuff years ago we used to do the great big party and the dance and the buffet dinner and the whole thing uh 65 bucks a couple or whatever it is um uh, but those uh, for us anyway have kind of gone by the 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 wayside um kevin jack ladies and gentlemen who is uh, adjusting his wares even as we speak of WeStream, uh, Canada's premier streaming company, executive producer of this program, uh, co-founder of WeStream along with his buddy Brandon Scram, 
uh, and their families. How was your uh, How was your New Year's Eve, Kev? Uh, I was quite well. Spent it up in Belleville. Uh, my dad has been in hospital for quite some time. Yeah, how's he doing? Okay. A considerable improvement. He was awesome. dealing with a double vision that he actually uh, was able to rid himself of a couple of days ago. So that's huge for him. Is he familiar with the rock band Foreigner? Uh, no, but you know what? Maybe I'll play that for you him. You should play that song for him. Play that for him on a loop. But uh, was up in Belleville. And you know what? When you got young kids, that kind of um, just mutes a little of the celebration on, on New Year's Eve. But for it was great sure. to be with family. Yeah. Uh, my sister came up. So it was a, it was a good uh, beginning to 2023. Good. Glad to hear it. Now, a solemn occasion be, uh, took place this morning. I, I am, Again, it's always difficult to put these things into... Words. Constable Greg Puchella, um, and there are different pronunciations of his name, but uh, I guess the Anglo-Saxon pronunciation would be Greg Puchella. Um, ceremony began at 11 o'clock this morning in uh, Barrie, and we thought you, you might appreciate some, some clips or some moments to reflect on this, uh, this young man's life and his very unfortunate short career. That's the that's Michael the scene. Michael and I were extremely lucky to have had Greg as both an older brother and as a oh role God. model. Just a second, Lee, I'll have to get this back yeah, up Yeah, that's here, okay. It sounds like it's probably um, had a greater influence on us than anyone else has ever had. So hold that's on, okay. Just, uh, um, and again, this is young, something that began at uh, 11 so o'clock this morning. Sorry about that, Lee. Just turned down the uh, the wrong knob. No, quite all yeah, right. Who's the I knob mean, now? It's uh, too bad because I really wanted to get get this in if we could. Yeah. Um, prior to this, we heard a lot of um, a lot of speaking from uh, from dignitaries, um, etc. But uh, this, this is this probably is one of the largest turnouts of the Ontario provincial police, in addition to other police forces that would have sent their representatives and any other officers I'm sure that wanted to attend this um, occasion. Occasion makes it sound positive, but obviously it isn't. Um, officer Puchella was a 28-year-old first duty officer. He had just completed his his probationary period, which uh, some people have said it's a year, and then others have said it's a it's ten months. And he was on his first solo assignment when he was shot. This, we believe, is his sister, Kevin. Michael and I were extremely lucky to have had Greg as both an older brother and as a role model. He's probably had a greater influence on us than anyone else has ever had. Despite being young, he had achieved so much in such a short period of time, and he was always striving to accomplish something more. But today, we don't want to talk about his achievements. We'd rather say a few words about what he was like and the kind of impact that he had on all of us, because that's what really matters. Greg was one of my three older brothers. Being both the youngest and the only girl, it wasn't always easy. 
But I found comfort knowing that I had three big brothers to protect me. Among the three, Greg took this job the most serious. He was always making sure that I was in a good place, both mentally and physically, and was always checking to make sure that I was headed in the right direction. Greg often emphasized how I should surround myself with good people and how it's better to have few friends leading you in a direction towards success than to have many that might be dragging you down. One of the last talks that we managed to have, he mentioned that no matter how small my circle of friends got, he would always be there as both a brother and a true best friend. Greg had also become one of my greatest influences because he had his priorities set straight. If I had to narrow it down, it would ultimately come down to his health, his faith, his education, his work, and above all, family. He loved to spend time with us, and he made this very clear. Greg was also so much more than just a police officer. He was always curious and wanted to learn as much as he possibly could. Once he got hooked on something, he would dedicate so much time and effort towards it. This enthusiasm in learning led him to develop several different hobbies and interests, which is a side of him that I had the privilege of getting to know. He loved art. It was a pain to go to museums with him because he could stare at a single painting all day. He would tell me about his plans to dedicate a whole room in his future house where he could go and stare at artwork after a long day. He liked to dance. Whenever we were at an event and he saw that I wasn't dancing, he would take me by the hand and lead me straight to the dance floor. Although he may have not been the greatest dancer, the effort was surely there. He loved being in nature. He spent lots of his time off going on long trips to Algonquin, where he would completely disconnect from the world. It was there that he found lots of peace. Greg even developed an interest in gardening. He would send me a bunch of random pictures of all the bushes and flowers that he would plant. And I still remember him being so proud of it. We would take trips to the greenhouse together and he would spend what felt like hours looking at all the descriptions, just trying to learn more. Although I may not have found it as interesting, he didn't really care at the time because he got to pursue his interests and at the same time, spend time with me. Greg's wisdom is something that particularly stood out to me. When he came home, he'd often ask me the classic question, how was school? What would typically be a five minute conversation turns into an hour long meeting 
debriefing everything I've done in school. He would give me his opinions and offer me with an insight that I would have never seen before. He would then spend another hour giving me life advice, which will always stick with me. Greg became one of my greatest teachers, and I can't even imagine how much more I could have learned. Greg died a hero, and he lived as an inspiration. I may have not said it often, but I love you, Greg, and you'll always be my big brother. Being Greg's younger brother, I got to know a slightly different side of him. Now, Greg was truly an outstanding and moral person, but it would be a mistake to think that it was always easy for him to be like this, or that he couldn't help but be a good person all the time. It took him plenty of effort and deliberation to become the virtuous person that we all knew. The reason I'm saying this is because he once told me about a turning point that caused him to reevaluate his own character and it changed the course of his life. He was around 13 years old and he made friends with the wrong group of kids and they all got themselves into some trouble. Luckily, a strict teacher had pulled him aside and firmly told him that he was on the wrong path and that he was wasting his potential. For whatever reason, Greg took this extremely seriously and he later told me that this is where he consciously decided to become the respectable and honest person that he'll be remembered as. It wasn't an easy thing for him to do, but it was worth doing as he had a positive impact on so many people's lives because of it. He was humble, generous, funny, and competent. But I think what really separated him from others were his high standards for everything in his life. He was obsessed with excellence, doing things right, and he always wanted things to be as good as they could be. He liked exercising, so a few months ago he ran the Hamilton Marathon. He loved to read, so he'd buy so many books that they'd pile up in his room faster than he was able to read them. Now, these high standards weren't always such a good thing, as unfortunately for me, he'd really let me know if my room wasn't clean. <laughs> and because he was like this, it wasn't an easy thing to make him proud, and he could be judgmental. But it was never crushing either, because when you did do something right, he'd let you know. And it would mean the world, because it came from him, and you knew that you must have really hit the mark if it was something that Greg appreciated. Greg was the most courageous person I knew. He was always doing challenging things that he was afraid of. But courage, it's not about never being afraid. It's about doing the right thing despite being afraid. And 
Really, it's a defining quality of all the police officers that are willing to risk their lives for us every day. Greg was very aware of the risks of the job, but he did it nonetheless. He would come home every week to spend time with the family, and when it was time for him to go back to work, he always made sure that he said a proper goodbye to everyone in the family. For me, he'd barge into my room with a grin on his face, and he'd give me a nice, firm handshake. And sometimes it was over the top and exaggerated, but it was really important to us, and I'm glad that he did that. When I was preparing for this, I was thinking of all the significant things we had done together. The big trips and special events and celebrations. But it was really these sorts of day-to-day -day interactions, like those handshakes, that really stuck out to me for some reason. And I think it's because, since you do them all the time, they're really the bulk of what make up relationships. And though they became habit, I'm really glad that I appreciated the little things and cherished the seemingly trivial time that I spent with him because it was so valuable. Over the last few days, I've spoken to a lot of people that knew Greg well, and there was this common thing that some people would say that I thought was true as well. It was that Greg had this really unique effect of inspiring you to become more. I remember thinking, oh, Greg just bought flowers for our mom after working out for two hours, after finishing a 12-hour shift. I should probably go do something today. See, the special thing about Greg, it wasn't just that he made your life better directly through his actions. It was also that through the example he set, he made you want to be a better person. He made you want to make your own life better. And I can't think of a better influence than someone can have than that. To finish, I'd like to read a quote written by the great Charles Dickens. This is a quote that had some meaning to Greg and that I believe is fitting. I see a beautiful city and a brilliant people rising from this abyss. I see the lives for which I lay down my life, peaceful, useful, prosperous, and happy. I see that I hold a sanctuary in their hearts and in the hearts of their descendants, generations hence. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. Incredibly impactful tributes to their brother. Thank you for those touching words, Michael and Justina. Quite a 
triumvirate of siblings they must have been, Kevin. Um, As we have heard throughout the remarks given here today, Provincial Constable Greg Purcella was a dedicated athlete. He enjoyed activities including soccer, swimming, cycling, and was accomplished in wrestling and the martial arts. <laughs> At this time, I welcome Canadian Armed Forces Sergeant Hodder to make a presentation. Sergeant. Here's some images that we can share, Lee, from, um, from earlier today. I'm not sure how much more of the ceremony we want, we yeah, want to carry. To I me, know, that um, was really what I was looking for was um, the eulogies from the, the, from the, the family the, members. Oh, from, from his uh, sister and brother, just uh, whew, so impactful. And the thousands upon thousands of uh, police service officers from across the country, not just OPP, other forces as well. Uh, that's just a small sample of the number of officers that have uh, that came out in force. Pardon the pun, um, not intended, um, to recognize the the supreme sacrifice that this young made, this young man made, and on the very first solo tour of duty of his professional police service career. Almost, almost unimaginable. He had been in, uh, in service for, I believe it was 10 months as far as the probationary period is concerned, and he would have been with another officer, of course, throughout that period of time. I've heard a year, but I've also heard 10 months. I think it was 10 months. But this was his and how ironic is it, I just don't, I just can't wrap my head around his very first solo tour of duty, his very first solo call, as we understand it, at which he died. How do you, how do you process that with all of those, all of those, Caveats. I suppose you process it simply as his sister and his brother just did in the fact that you remember him as he was and what got him to where he was. And at some point in time, you have to stop asking why because there really is no answer to that question. But um, a lot of police officers, unfortunately, lose their lives in the tour of duty. Rarely has one been so impactful as Greg Pichella's, um was simply because of all of those factors that I just mentioned. It hasn't been a good year for police force officers in the province of Ontario 2022. Um, Far too, far too many have perished in the line of duty um, or otherwise, and it's, it's not something that you can rationalize by any stretch of the imagination, but it was terrific to see the level of support from all of those, uh, all of those police services from across Ontario and the country 
as well. Just so, so difficult to wrap your head around as a, as a parent and as a grandfather and um, as actually a friend and uh, acquaintance of many law enforcement officers that have come through Niagara. I cannot imagine the swell of, emo uh, the swell of emotion and how you deal with that. These images here, Lee, are from earlier today. Yeah, of course. Again, the, um, the ceremony got underway just after 11 a.m. in, uh, in Barrie. Which, sure. of course, is uh, Constable Pacella's home hometown. Now, Lee, I think what made this um, even more touching was the time of year that it, that it took place over the holidays when, when many of us were off, many of us were looking forward to gathering with family if you weren't already. Um, so you know that the and how and he young wasn't, he was, and he wasn't addressing a situation in which you would expect to be a, a dangerous. He he was following, thinking about the comments that made by his sister and his brother. He was stopping to help someone he believed to be in distress because the vehicle was off the road. Um, whether it was in the ditch or it, it seemed to be in distress. And upon his approach, he loses his life on the first tour of duty of his, uh, of his uh, and, police career. And Lee, you talk about um, the relatability of that. And, uh, you know, here in Niagara, we were gripped with a storm and we saw so many good Samaritans across Niagara. And I know we're going to share some of those today yeah. on the program as especially South Niagara was just absolutely at a standstill. Many people without power for a few days. Yeah. And um, and just to kind of move along, Lee, we've got uh, Fort Erie Mayor Wayne Redekop has uh, dialed into the program here and just wants to talk about uh, what took place in Fort Erie, the recovery efforts, and, and where we stand now. So That'd be, uh, that'd be uh, excellent. Mayor Redekop, thank you very much for uh, coming on the program. It's been far too long since you and I have had a conversation, so uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming in here, uh, especially following such a solemn story as uh, as we just covered. How can we help you today? What would you like to uh, What would you like to do? Uh, so you cut out a little bit there. You, there was some problem with your uh, with your connection. Sorry, um, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm happy happy to be here today. And if uh, if there are some specific areas that you wanted me to touch on, no, I I just um, yeah, you you clicked into our. Um, our green room here, and I, I just mentioned that, uh, especially after such a solemn occasion as we witnessed today with uh, Constable Bruchella, uh and uh, everything that your uh, your municipality has, uh, I know it's kind of tough to follow that. <laughs> that was that was that was my point. So I appreciate you coming in to chat with us today, uh, and uh, Fort Erie and uh, other areas of South Niagara have certainly had uh, a rather crazy end to 2022 and beginning to 2023. Um, and I know a lot of people. I mean, I lived in that area as well uh, for a long time. Um, I, I just thought uh, we would ask you what what you would what your reaction is looking back and looking forward and if there's anything uh, at all that you would like to to tell us about uh, <laughs> the crazy end of the last year and the and and the beginning of the next how much time do we have <laughs> <laughs> you take whatever you want mayor 
Yeah. So I, I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll simply touch on the highlights. It, you're right. It is very difficult. Uh, the the um, tragedy that occurred um, with Officer Pichella is, is really unimaginable, uh, as you said, this time of year, but really any time of year. And law enforcement is the representative of authority in our society. And so that's why it's, it's such a serious um, incident that had occurred. Um, out of that bad news story, um, the, there were lots of people in stress in Fort Erie, Port Coburn, Wayne Fleet during the um, period from December the 23rd until about the 28th or 9th yeah. when we ended the state of emergency. But there are lots of good news stories that came out of that. Um, part of the good news story is that people who thought that they were going to be spending some time with their own families during the Christmas holiday ended up having to work. Uh, some of them very, very long hours, and I'm referring, of course, to the to the roads crews, whether they were town of Fort Erie yeah. or some of the crews that came in from outside other areas of Niagara. We have mutual aid agreements with all of the municipalities in Niagara, and many of them responded to us, not only on the road crews, but also on the fire department side, because our firefighters, all of whom are volunteers, with the exception of the, the officers um, that uh, man the station, the chief, the deputy chief, right. their staff, um, you know, they were they were basically worn right out. So we did get some help from some of the um, municipalities who sent in some fire crews who responded to some emergencies during that period of time to assist us. And then, of course, the, the hydro workers and all of the crews that came in from all over Ontario to assist them over that six-day period. What is it, what is it, sorry for cutting in here, but what does it feel like as a, as a political representative of a constituency that is going through a disastrous type natural event when there really isn't a damn thing that you can personally do. It must be a very frustrating um, position to be in for, for well, someone that holds your role. Well, it's, it's frustrating in the sense that you're right. Physically, there's not much that we can do, but there is a role for the mayor in, a, in an emergency situation. And so what we try to do is make sure that the emergency operation is, is running effectively, but we have a fire chief, we have an acting, we had an acting right. CAO, the CAO was away, and they're responsible for maybe touching, uh, touching base with all of the various entities that are involved in trying to deal with the emergency. We had regular meetings, we were meeting three uh, times a day during the early stages of that storm, and then two times a day, checking in, getting data from uh, CNP, finding out where the road crews were, uh, responding to um, uh, calls that we were getting. I mean, we had an unbelievable number, as you can imagine, of For text sure. messages, email messages, yeah. telephone calls, um, messengers on uh, on Facebook and, and the messenger app. And we were responding to those as quickly as we could, not only the town, but also uh, the region, and I'm sure, and I know, Canadian Niagara Power. So it's not so much being helpless, because we were very busy. So we were trying to do, I'm sure, yeah. uh, fulfill our role to make sure that we could do it, but it helpless in the sense that, yeah, many people were without power, um, that which meant that they didn't necessarily have heat, and uh, so they were, some people were in distress. Uh, we tried to um, deal with those things. Uh, other people uh, had difficulty getting uh, out of their homes uh, once <laughs> the storm was over because of the because of the condition of the roads. Sure. So we were trying to respond to those things, and um, so we had we had a quite a busy job. The councillors were all very active. They were responding as well to residents. 
we were keeping them updated as to what was going on so that they could at least provide information. And in, in times of crisis, Lee, sometimes communication is the most important thing. Absolutely. absolutely. People- that's one of the that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about, Mr. Mayor. And I mean, I know there's no there's no perfect solution in, in, in spite of the fact that you can be as prepared as you think you are. And yet there's always sometimes a curveball that gets uh, gets thrown to you. And in this case, uh, my sister, uh, for one, lives. I grew up in Black Creek area. And uh, believe me, we're, we're no stranger to, to snow in Black Creek, Stevensville in that way. She lives in Ridgeway uh, right now, is without power for uh, four days including including heat she managed to be fine because the neighbors uh, are good that's one thing that we do have in niagara for sure uh, is that uh, that sense of teamwork and neighborly assistance etc so uh, okay not pleasant but okay um the 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 thing that um the the thing that uh, always um gets me is the fact that no matter no matter what you prepare for there's always something that can 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 take you away. For example, this wasn't just snow. Uh, it wasn't just uh, cold, but there were these gale force winds that was the cherry on top of this so-called perfect storm. So as as much as we had all of these emergency crews standing by, they couldn't get to where they needed to be. So everybody was all everybody was sort of paralyzed by this. Yeah, that's exactly correct. It was the wind, the wind which was running at 50 to 60 kilometers per hour, gusting to 90 to 100 kilometers per hour. It was it was the base of all of the problems because the amount of snow that we received wasn't particularly overwhelming in terms of snow that we typically receive yeah. here. But when it was being blown around, it was creating visibility challenges to the point where between about 2 o'clock on uh, December 24th and 10 o'clock that evening, there was no way that snow removal crews or hydro workers could get out and do their job because there was no visibility. It was very, very cold. It was The temperature dropped on uh, the morning of December the 23rd yeah. from two, 2 degrees at 7 a.m. to minus 11 by noon or 1 o'clock. So the drop was quite precipitous. The winds push water to the east end of Lake Erie. And so what appeared to be quite low lake levels compared to three years ago actually were raised and then the winds created large waves 10 to 15 feet high which were then causing flooding problems. The creeks were backed up. That caused more flooding problems. So we had not only the uh, the, the wind and the snow, we had the flooding as well and the cold temperatures. And then you're right, the ability of people to um, to stay warm and we were encouraging people stay in your home, stay warm. Um, you know, if you live in if you live in this area, uh, probably a good idea to have a generator. But even those people that had generators were finding that the wind was blowing the snow into the exhaust, and it was it was causing disruption yeah, of generators. Yeah. And there's all so there's all was, there's all uh, are all sorts of uh, generator solutions. However, uh, they are they do differ in how they how they function. They do differ in how long they last, and um, it's. Again, um, they're not perfect solutions, and I'm sure a lot of people, including my sister, for example, is rethinking um, emergency 
preparedness just in case uh, a once in a lifetime storm happens again. Um, this is, uh, I mean, I was on the radio during the blizzard of 77. I was on the air actually when it started uh, and mm -hmm. uh, remembered the three or four or five days uh, that uh, Central and South Niagara experienced. This, this was more, more centralized, I guess, in, in the south part of the, of the region. But in a lot of ways, it was, uh, and because of the wind uh, especially, in a lot of ways, it was almost worse because you couldn't, you couldn't deal with anything. Um, so, so kudos to all of the people that were on call and on standby and whose holidays were, were sacrificed and to you and your council members as well. What did you learn, if anything, uh, that uh, you need to do going forward? That's part one of this question. Part two of the question is uh, what is yet to be done as far as uh, recovery of, uh, uh, of lifestyle or anything as a result of the storm? Right, so I'll, I'll answer the second part first, and that is we're still cleaning up. So there are still many, many trees that need to be cleaned up. The town will be embarking on a program that will assist individuals who have trees, uh, branches, broken branches, what have you in their yard, so that we'll be sending out chippers probably starting next week, I would think. Okay. So we'll be putting out some, some announcement on that. That will help people clean up in their own yards. But there's still a lot of trees that need to be dealt with. Hydro crews are still out taking some trees off of uh, wires that weren't, didn't result in, in power outages, but still pose a danger. They'll be doing some further uh, pruning along their lines, and we'll also be looking at, at that. Um, in terms of where we go next, there will be a, a full-blown debriefing of the storm and how emergency operations was able to respond. We know that um, we will be including the Emergency Management Ontario representation in that debriefing, and we'll be including them in future um, emergency operations that occur. That They were involved quite extensively in 2006 when we had a large ice storm in Fort Erie that paralyzed the mm -hmm. community for three or four days. Uh, we'll also be making sure that the region has better connections with us during the uh, the storm. The debriefing will allow us then to focus on the things that happen, things that we think we can do differently and better, and and uh, then that will become part of a modified uh, emergency plan. We have a we have a full blown emergency plan, which was approved by council and has been utilized, unfortunately, many times over the past twenty years because of the number of emergencies that we we've had here. Uh, so that emergency plan will be updated and we'll make sure that we get that out to the public and you've just mentioned something that i think is very important the public needs to be aware of the fact that these emergency situations do occur periodically and there are some things that people can do in their own homes to make sure that they're safe should they be without power for two or three days i, I have two daughters that live in town and one was without power for two and a half days and the other one lives in ridgeway she was without power uh, for until Monday night about, uh, so that'd be the 26th, until about 10 o'clock at night. So they, um, you know, people, residents need to be aware of, of what could occur here. And we have a lot of newcomers that are coming into mm -hmm. the community, maybe aren't familiar with the history of storms in Fort Erie. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, perhaps there, there are things that we can do to better alert the public, including newcomers. Uh, Wayne, before we let you go, um, I want to touch on something that you mentioned very quickly uh, a couple minutes ago was some sort of uh, better communication, th those might not be your words, with th right. the region. 
What uh, what did you experience, or what what was your impression? Why what what was behind that statement? So in in 2006, which I used as an example before, when Ontario when emergency management Ontario was at the table, the region was also at the table, and that was those were two presences that were absent this time around, and it's simply helpful to have them there because then there's better communication, particularly between the municipality and the province, and you you may know that. Um, I'd been asked about uh, whether we'd heard from the province uh, on a particular day, and I indicated we hadn't. Well, it turns out that the province had been communicating with the region. Some of the information hadn't been funneling down to the town of Fort Erie. If we make sure that... Information, I'm interrupting you, information such as what? Such as what kind of help might have been available from uh, Emergency Management Ontario, Um, you know, perhaps giving them a much stronger impression of what was happening here in Fort Erie. It's, It's sometimes you know, the sun may be shining in St. Catharines and there may be a blizzard in Fort Erie. Totally. So sometimes it's, and in fact that happened because when I spoke to Chair Bradley one of the days of the storm, um, that's exactly what was happening. He was looking at sunny skies. We could hardly see 50 feet outside of our, our front window. Yeah, so, so was I. Yeah. Um, those are the types of things, if you have individuals from those agencies at your table, uh, they become much more uh, appreciative of exactly what's happening. Because right. we had Canadian Niagara Power involved, we had all of our staff, the various departments, and um, you know we we knew what was happening with power. We knew how many people were without power. We knew how quickly Canadian Niagara Power was responding. How those numbers were coming down. In terms of communication to the public at large, we were able to get some of that information out. And then by the end of the emergency, we were actually getting out information that Canadian Niagara Power was also putting out, but we were getting it out. We were asking people to share information, and there was some really good um, dissemination of information because a lot of the residents who had power, who had access to their internet Mm -hmm. or their cell phones, were getting that information out. They were sharing information we were putting out, and that helped to spread the word in terms of updates, you know, what was happening, what we were doing, how we were responding. So, as I said before, communication is key because people... People crave information as to where they where they stand, and if we can get that information out, and I'm sure that'll be something that we'll be looking at in terms of right. critically analyzing our communication function and what other partners we have that we can maybe look to for that um, that assistance. Yeah, it's 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 great to hear that there's going to be a full debrief, and uh, I would have expected nothing less. So that's great that that's going to happen. Uh, and again. Uh, appreciate you uh, coming on this program because that's precisely what we're here for. If there's a message to get out to all of Niagara or even a section of it, um, um, we're accessible to anybody and everybody. And uh, Mayor Wayne Redekop, we really appreciate your time today. I know it's everybody's time is valuable even now in the new year. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, I'm glad we, uh, pardon the pun, weathered the storm uh, so they... So they say, well done. Good pun. Thanks very much, Lee. appreciate the opportunity. And Happy New Year to you and all of your listeners. Happy New Year to you. Our pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Um, Kevin, um, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad the mayor saw the, uh, saw the value in coming in here to chat with us today. That's Absolutely. Great. Some valuable information. And he's bang on in saying that, uh, you know, completely different ecosystems between South Niagara and oh, North geez. Niagara has proven once again during that storm where I know exactly the day when, when he was talking to Chair Bradley because I remember that it was it was a sunny morning in yeah. St. Catharines, yet we all knew, and a lot of it through social media, 
uh, the devastation that had occurred in Fort Erie. And I mean, everybody seems to be I connected. I was one of them as well. I mean, I live in St. Catharines, on the north end of St. Catharines, and usually uh, anytime you're near the lake, uh, you have a chance to get hammered, but it depends on whether you're on the north side of the lake, the south side, and which lake. Uh, and of course, uh, we know which lake uh, causes the problem. I mean, uh, western New York and southwestern New York uh, always, it, it affects our area somehow, no matter what. And, and uh, this, this time it was uh, tough. That first big, that first big uh, killing style blizzard and storm that went through Buffalo that piled up to the point where they had to move football games and things like that. Um, we kind of escaped it in, in the southern tier. Got a bit, but kind of escaped it, but this time uh, did not escape it. And those pictures along the shoreline of Lake Erie with, uh, with those, those ice houses is, is, is amazing. Some, some of that footage that I was showing, the people were wondering where it looks like, hmm, a lot of it's thawed. That was just from a couple of days ago. And it was showing some of the you know, debris. A lot of it has not thawed. You know, some of the debris from the water and the ice that had been pushed on shore and then it all melts away. And mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you're left with that cleanup. So they're not out of the woods. And he was mentioning, you know, I had um, kind of the in-laws or, or relatives of mine were stuck for maybe three days. And who has three days worth of gasoline on hand for yeah. your generator? How yeah. many jerry cans would somebody have full no, of full no. of gasoline? No, Maybe there are, one or two, and so you run out of gas, and then how do you go get more? You can't even get well, out you can't your driveway. Get, you can't get out. Uh, then there are um, there are uh, uh, battery style, but then you've once your batteries are dead, how do you charge them? <laughs> because you're you're obviously in a power outage um, situation. Um, Kevin, I want to thank our sponsors again for joining us for another do-over as we head into Season 4. This is Episode 1. Happy New Year from Niagara 411 Live with Lee Sterry. Uh, Gales Gas Bars Limited fueling uh, Niagara for well over 50 years and will continue to do so. And when it comes to generators, etc., and I'm speaking... Uh, uh, about something that I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. However, if you're looking for maybe a solution to situations just like what we were talking with Mayor Redekop about, it might be worthwhile contacting uh, the Gales Gaspar people because they, all, they also provide fuel oil and uh, trucking of fuel oil and fill-ups, etc. Uh, for all of Niagara. So there may be um, there may be a solution there for emergency use that uh, that I'm unaware of. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying there is. I'm not. Not. Not trying to put words in the mouth of uh, Gale CEO Jessica Friesen, but I just thought it might be worthwhile uh, an inquiry when uh, when you get a chance. Anyway, uh, thank you to Gales for again being our title sponsor and fueling this program. Uh, living wage employer here in Niagara as well as being rainbow registered. Uh, we've been talking about things of that nature over the last couple of weeks and boy have we taken some uh, some interesting uh, comments on, on, on that scale as well which I find interesting and we'll have an opportunity to address those things again as we go forward. Uh, Virgin Insurance Brokers Limited, uh, Mark Shirk, Blake Shirk and everybody that works so hard to uh, ensure 
ensure that people are properly insured. Now there's a difference there. See, when you get into the, when you get into the English language, it can get complicated. To ensure that people are insured properly so that they can be protected in situations just like what uh, South Niagara went through over the last number of days. So Virgin Insurance, we thank you for supporting us. Um, Kevin Jack and um, Brandon Scram, co-founders of WeStream, Canada's premier streaming company. And uh, it's been uh, an interesting uh, kickoff to the year for your, for your bunch as well. Kevin, um, you're back on the back on the city council meeting trail. Have the have have, have all of our regional councilors and uh, municipal councilors got their got their sea legs yet, or is is it still just a little bit on the wobbly side? It seems to me that we're still not quite up to speed uh, four days into this year. Yeah, a lot of them kind of pick up with their uh, with their first meetings of the year probably next week or the following week. Right. And again, we'll be uh, we'll be providing some of the live coverage. It's all all archived as well. But right. you know, uh, with the exception of kind of Fort Erie, Port Colborne, and along the north shore, well, they've shore had to get Fort up Erie, to speed fast. Um, it's it's been pretty quiet here north of Highway Twenty. I'll be I'll be perfectly <laughs> honest. Yeah. Well, uh, again, uh, because uh, poor, all, all things in the southern tier have had to had to be up to speed. We have been spending a lot of time today on Constable Greg Lepicella, um, who's um, who was laid to rest um, earlier today. But Niagara lost a law enforcement officer of its own in uh, over the last uh, few days. He was uh, known as Big John Audubert, Niagara Parks police officer and uh, very, very highly thought of. He was um, on, on service, I think, for more than, more than 30 years. Kevin, I don't have all of the details in, in front of me, but uh, there we go. I, I finally... Uh, I'm trying finally to find it, it myself, but I, uh, I saw yeah, it. There we go. I finally got it from the Niagara uh, uh, comment and a post from the Niagara Parks Police Service. It is with tremendous sadness that we share the passing of retired Inspector John Audubert. Uh, Inspector Big John Audubert served for 35 years with the Niagara Parks Police Service. He began his proud and distinguished career as a seasonal officer and rose through the ranks, retiring as an inspector. Inspector Audubert was an active member of the community John was a much-loved basketball coach in the city of Niagara Falls, and he was an assuring and respected presence in the broader Niagara Parks Commission family. Over the course of his career, John mentored hundreds of student officers. Many of these student officers would go on to serve with the Niagara Parks Police Service, the Niagara Regional Police Service, and other public safety agencies all over the province. Flags at Niagara Parks Police Service headquarters are lowered at half Mast. Our collective thoughts and deepest condolences are with John's family and friends. Thank you, Big John, Inspector Audubert, for decades of dedicated service to the community, staff, and the millions of international and domestic visitors who traveled to Niagara Parks. Rest in peace. So we definitely did not want to let today go by without recognizing the, the long and uh, dedicated service 
of uh, a Big John. So there we go. Uh, Niagara also lost um, a gentleman recently, and I have to be absolutely honest in this that I was not familiar with and did not know Liam Coward. However, Liam Coward was, as I have heard from people since his recent passing, probably one of the most um, eloquent and vocal spokespersons, uh, people, for the pride movement in uh, the Niagara region. Um, and there is a, a post that came up from uh, out Niagara, like so many members in our communities were mourning the loss of longtime supporter, contributor, member, and friend of out Niagara, Liam Coward. In honoring Liam, we want to hold and celebrate the lasting impact of his activism, as this was a space so many of us were able to meet and connect with him. Liam bridged advocating for 20... I believe that's 2S. Two, two, oh yeah, I'm, I apologize. 2S, uh, the, the print's uh, a little small and I, uh, I booted it. Uh, 2S and LGBTQA plus communities and it was work around labor rights and improving working conditions, community safety and combating harassment and the importance of sustained relationship building beyond an election cycle. Like the pictures shared in this post, these are just a few examples of so many, but we want folks to know Liam's leadership and advocacy has been essential in moving Niagara towards the future he consistently advocated for. This is a significant loss, and as we hold one another in a time of sadness, our thoughts are with those who his love and uh, those who his love and cherish his memory and the many communities and networks he built through his life. Rest in peace, uh, Liam Coward, who died um, unexpectedly uh, over uh, over the last few days. So we have had a lot to process, uh, Kevin, uh, in a in a very short period of time yeah, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't stop there lee as we um as we look forward this afternoon to the world junior hockey getting back underway in halifax yes we've got uh the first semifinal going this afternoon i think 2 30 is the puck drop on that and then mm -hmm. 6 30 tonight and and i bring that up to rewind a couple of days on monday night while a lot of the nation here was wrapped up in that incredible overtime victory by Team Canada over yep. Slovakia that saw Connor Bedard just score a goal for the ages. Yeah. And then quickly when that's done, especially in Southern Niagara, we flip over to see what's going on in the Monday Nighter. Well, I was watching the Monday Nighter from the beginning. Oh, so you'd have some great perspective, Lee. Well, yeah. It was, um, as, a, as a Buffalo Bills fan, uh, of course, I was already um, ready for a tough tussle. I was ready for a very, very close came, uh, game. Um, the Buffalo Bills were behind uh, five minutes into the first uh, quarter, and you knew it was going to be a heck of a game. Big, big game for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, and that is the hit right there. See that man, Hamlin? 
he's going to fall backwards. It, this does not look like anything extraordinary in the NFL, in any NFL game. The fellow with the ball was the guy that, uh, that DeMar Hamlin wanted to get to. He got to him. He was trying to bring him down. He ended up bringing him down. They had a collision on the field where you see at, at the center of the spot where you see all of those players um, paying homage. And it didn't look that bad. I mean, as, as football hits go, it was fairly tame looking. And that was Josh Allen tearing up, just not believing. That's Diggs. Uh, one of the one of the leaders of the teams, one of the great receivers on the Buffalo Bills team, and you can see the the shock and and the and and the emotion of all of these players. Just like how does this how does this happen in kind of a routine play? His heart failed when he stood up. Something happened in that altercation something happened in in that play that overtaxed his heart to the point where it was no longer able to function he was resuscitated once on the field meaning his heart had stopped he actually died on the field and then he was through CPR that was administered for like nine minutes or something of that nature he was resuscitated on the field the ambulance the the emergency personnel reacted amazingly well there is certainly no fault i don't think going to be found with how the response was handled in this instance the 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 ambulance backed out there in the hurry they started to uh, as our information has it they were attempting to put um hamlin on a on a on a stretcher board to transport him to the ambulance and then realized that this wasn't the best thing to do so they let him stay back and lay still on the field for a while till they felt it safe to move him which they did into the ambulance and into their special into the only hospital in the area in Cincinnati that has that kind of care available and uh, as we understand it they also resuscitated him once again in the hospital so at one point in time his heart had stopped again uh, he is currently uh, intubated meaning he's on a breathing tube he is uh, sedated and they are waiting for signs that he will be able to breathe on his own as i understand it before they bring him out of the sedation and uh and and try to move forward into a into a better place, but he's still listed in critical condition in that uh, in that hospital. And um, as as a as a commentator, Kevin, that is probably the the worst position you can ever be in. We had two people uh, that were uh, that were doing the the play by play and the color for the game. And then you had three people in New York City that were doing their usual job of keeping people up to date with what's been happening in the NFL on a very, very busy Monday night. And uh, after a while, what can you say? 
and they did their best to say that they couldn't say anything other than football doesn't matter right now. And, uh, and that's kind of still where the NFL is. I, I think the entire league is still rather in shock. Yeah, I think all NFL fans or sports fans are in shock. I'm still in shock. You're still in shock. Yeah. I, can, I can see it on your face and, and hear it in your words. And You, you want to... Um, I, I played a hockey game on Monday night late, and it was yeah. all the chatter. We of were all wondering, and we were, we were all puzzled. We were well, all anybody, concerned. Any, anybody that follows sports, and especially anybody that has played sports at any level and felt competent at the game, uh, it's, it's almost like there by the grace of God go I. How does, how does something as... Uh, now, football is a... We all know it's a violent sport. They acknowledge it's a violent sport, and they've done everything, well, not everything maybe, but they've done a lot over the years to try to mitigate the obvious damage, like helmet-to-helmet contact and, and illegal tackling and grabbing around throats and things, things like that to attempt to, to mitigate serious on-field damage. However, it is still a violent sport. And, and, but this, when you look at it, these guys, I mean, their teammates, I'm sure, must have been saying, and they'll watch that tape over and over and over and over again. And they'll say, what happened here? I've been involved in bigger hits and harder hits. Like, what? Now, uh, and, and one of the things that we'll find out uh, is, did, is there some sort of pre-existing condition uh, that uh, DeMar Hamlin had that, it w- was it an accident? W- was it a tragedy waiting to happen? That, of course, is way way too early to tell. Yeah, it's. I mean, here we are an hour into the program, and unfortunately, it's been uh, it's been filled with sadness. Beginning with, uh, with I the know coverage we've of, uh, of we've Michelle. had and uh, let's let's bring something uh, a little more local and a little more uplifting onto the program. Let's do that. <laughs> a kind young man, Mac Levick. With the assistance of a wonderful lady, we didn't get her name, assisted the cat out of the tree. This is the classic cat stuck in the tree story. Thanks so much to these folks and everyone who assisted. Great work. Near 479A Carlton Street in St. Catharines, between the two buildings on the pathway, there is a cat stuck in a pine tree. <laughs> if anyone can assist, that would be great. And there were a number of comments about the fire department, etc., and much, uh, uh, much uh, against uh, common belief is the fire departments don't, uh, don't necessarily go get cats out of trees. Joining us to talk more about this story is Angie Morley. Uh, she's with Cat Rescue, Purity Paws Rescue. Um, Angie, how are you today? I'm good, how are you? I'm great, and thank you for bringing a little bit of levity to the program. We've been, as Kevin said, we've been sort of swamped with sadness today for some reason, but this is, uh, this is a little shining light in uh in in the day tell us about purity pause rescue yeah so um i started purity pause rescue back in october of 2021 um after leaving a bad relationship and moving out on my own for the first time being extremely independent having way too much space for one person um and so i started that back in october of 2021 and then shortly after i met 
like an amazing woman, Raina Ersegovic, who runs um, Raina's Rescue and the um, the Lost and Found Pets of Niagara um, Rescue page. Um, and Purdy Paws has rescued over 61 cats and kittens so far, and twice, if not three times more, with Raina. Um, She's been an amazing friend and mentor to me. Um, I run this out of my home. I have a, a spare room in my basement for new intakes to keep them isolated okay. and, until they're vetted. And then they go upstairs and then we adopt them out. We send them to bigger rescues who are funded. Uh, we do what we can. Uh, donations and fosters are really slow right now. So we're, we're at a pause for intakes. So when I have the opportunity to go out and help without having to spend money, I try to do so. That's great. Now, now, Angie, um, we have a lot of cats in uh, Niagara. We were talking with Humane Society Executive mm -hmm. uh, Director Kevin Struband uh, a week or two ago, and he said normally around uh, the holidays, we don't have very many cats. He said, we're filled to the brim. I mean, like the litter box is full of cats right, yeah. right, right now. Where do you, uh, now again, I'm going to use bad grammar here. Where do you rescue your cats from? Where do they come from? So so between Raina and I, um, I would definitely consider Raina my biggest partner and, and support. Um, we usually trap a lot of our cats out on properties. Um, we get a lot of uh, street queens, pregnant, pregnant cats. Um, that come into our care and then we'll try to give them to bigger rescues who have the funds to take care of them okay. or um, we'll we'll take care of it ourselves and we'll have kittens that are born into our care but for the vast majority we take on a lot of the older and sick and injured cats that would likely get euthanized or just not do well mm -hmm. or be taken on by, by it, they're, they're just harder cases so we get them off the streets um, we do get some people who surrender them because you know for for whatever reason um, but mostly street cats, street ones that need help out of the cold. How do you how do you how do you do that? What do you do? Roam around, just roam around every day looking <laughs> for cats? Um, we we typically don't, but I definitely keep my eye out when I'm driving around out of habit. <laughs> um, mostly people call us and get a hold of us, and um, the Lost and Found page on Facebook. A lot of people, you know, swarm to there for help. Um, properties like farm properties, properties that have numerous cats dumped on them. Yeah. Um, we take those on. We take we take on those harder cases. Uh, wow. Has been amazing with with our, our vet, our vet in Niagara Falls, uh, in Medical Animal Center. Amazing. So, so walk me through the process again, because I'm trying to figure out why this is a lucrative, or if it is a lucrative business for you. It. it you can't be getting rich off this. Uh, we lose a lot of money. <laughs> we lose a lot of money. Thankfully, I've had money put aside from my Canadian Forces Service. That's blown. That's gone. So we are really much based off of donations from you know the public, our, our rescue community. Um, when I started Pretty Paws, I set my ground rule that serving members and veterans get first priority in a waived adoption fee. Um, so veterans don't have to worry about, you know, paying an adoption fee when they, when they want an animal and it's been like, it's been super helpful having them, but we, we lose a lot of money and we're, we're, we're very dependent on the public's, you know, generosity. Okay. So 
you have, uh, you said you have a, a sort of a cat, for the lack of a better word, holding area. You, you say, yeah. well, this is downstairs in your home? Yeah, so in my basement, I have a room set up with cages, water bowls, food bowls, and they go in there during isolation. Yeah. Once they are vetted, we know that there's nothing contagious. Um, if they are friendly, they go up to my upstairs rescue room where there's more sunlight. They get to roam around and, and get, get a feel of being an indoor cat. Um, the kittens, when we get kittens, they automatically go up there for more, you know, more exposure because they're, they're a little bit easier to work with. Um, and then once they are friendly and loving and, and you know, willing to take on um, affection from people, we get to adopt them out and send them off to bigger rescues. And, and, and what do you what what venue do you use to adopt out these cats? <clears throat> um, so a lot of people reach out to me personally um, via Facebook. Um, somehow people have gotten my phone number, um, and so I send them an adoption application, a contract, and we go through the adoption process that way. They'll go to my fosters. Oh, we had a little freeze up here. We'll get her back. That's right. It's pretty incredible. Sounds like this is something wow, that she's kind of looking for. Oh, there you go. Sorry, we've got you back. We had a bit of a freeze out there. So you were saying, fill us back in on what you were saying just recently. Oh, um, so, yeah, people reach out to me via Facebook or Messenger phone number, and I send them an application, at which point they can go and meet, um, meet the kitten, meet the cat at one of our fosters, and then once they've decided they want that cat, we send the adoption fee, which yeah. uh, is usually around seventy percent of what vetting we have we have done on them. Yeah. Um, and then once that's approved, they are free to pick up their their new family member. And so the assurance that they have when they adopt a cat <clears throat> from uh, Purdy Paws is the fact that the cat is healthy. It is healthy. So me personally, I don't know about other rescues, and I am still very new in figuring things out. I have a three-month period where if anything medical goes wrong, aside from the basic care, like if your cat falls and breaks its ankle, that's on the that's on the adopter. Yeah. If there's anything that would have been pre-existing and within the first three months, they are to contact me, and I'm going to help them with that vetting. They can keep the cat, but I I, I assure them that I'm going to do the best to give them a healthy cat. They will go with their vetting paperwork. They will go with all the information from the vet that what they have, the microchip, the vaccinations, everything that they have gotten with an intake list of what's been done, the condition they came in, where they came from, and their, their entire backstory from what I know. Okay, so uh, you, you've obviously uh, previously served our country, uh, uh, and you, you said that whatever you've put aside from that experience is, is, is gone. So first of all, thank, yeah. you. thank you for your service. Where, where and for how long did you serve? Um, I only had the privilege of serving for three years, sadly, due to an injury. Uh, there was a there was a mess up with a surgeon. He made a mistake during my surgery, which cost me my career. Oh, um, that's a whole issue in and of itself. It, it's it's common, but not talked about. Um, and so I spent most of my time in Meaford at uh, and then a year at CFLRS in Quebec. Well, um, maybe you can come back and chat with us about that because it's a topic I think a lot of people would be interested in with regard to the Canadian forces. So I would like to pursue that a little further at some point in the future if you'd like, if, if you feel comfortable I'd, doing that. I'd be happy to. Okay, Angie. I'd be happy to. It's, it's a topic that needs to be talked about. All right, we'll do it. Uh, so back to, 
back to the cats. My wife and I have had she's she's really the cat person, but I've grown to I've grown to like cats. Um, a lot of people don't um, <coughs> have collars and tags and things like that on their cats like they do their dogs. I I'm not sure I'm not sure why. I know the I know the service is there, uh, but they just uh, don't. Cats cats sort of fall into a, a kind of a strange category. Like they're they're almost a, a well they are a species of their own, but they're all they're almost a community of their own outside yeah. the domestic type community and and a lot <clears throat> of people are, love to to make sure that animals are going to be okay this is a long way of asking me why are you doing this if you're um, losing money uh you've got to live the rest of your life you're not a you're not an old person i mean you're you're definitely not on death's door what what the hell no. are you doing? what the hell are you doing this for um, I think I like the military was my dream career, and after I lost that, I I'm still struggling to find what I'm supposed to do next. Okay. What? Why am I here? Um, I've always okay. been an animal lover, bringing home animals, and I think this is something that I has almost saved me just as much as I've saved them. So it's therapeutic for you. It's very therapeutic. Losing the money isn't very. <laughs> oh gosh, here we go. Oh, gosh. You know, if only we can get a day, get through a day, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes people's internet service, and it's usually not ours. It's usually on the other end yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Um, All right, we got her back now. Sorry, we just we just dropped out again there okay, for a Angie, second. Okay, Angie, so you were talking about losing, no you, you, losing the money is a fill in the blank. Um, losing the money is stressful, but it, it's it's rewarding when these animals get to more frozen again. <laughs> No, no, you're good. Oh, you did freeze. Damn. Oh, she's back. Okay, you're here. So go ahead, love. Go ahead. Oh, we're having some blips along the way here. Yeah, I'm real sorry about this, Angie. The Internet's not our friend today, but uh, pick up where you left off. I think we're, we're stable once again. You're there. Go ahead, Yeah. Angie. Yeah, go ahead, Angie. I, I, think we're, I think we're back. Um, it's, it's, it's just rewarding when these animals get to go into homes, permanent homes, they're warm, out of the cold, out of the elements. Um, they're able to accept affection. Um, you know, they're alive. Sometimes we get cats that are barely alive. It, it, it makes up for it. It really does. It, it's rewarding when you see, you know, kins who would have been born outside and probably wouldn't have made it through the winter, you know, thriving and having happy lives. I have one over here that's, um... Laying there, all nice and comfy. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm constantly harassed with kitten affection and cats and love, and it's just it makes it very rewarding when family members get to you know take on this new this new love of purrs and kitten cuddles. Yeah, there really is there really is uh, nothing quite like <clears throat> the unconditional love of of an animal, regardless of what no. what species it is. Okay. To cut to the chase here, um, how can we help you? What do you need? To, uh, is it your goal to continue to do this to the point of actually making it a lucrative, profitable business? Because you can't do this. You can't do Absolutely. this at a loss for the next fifty years of your life. No, um, 
I've already found myself at a standstill due to the lack of funds, but I ultimately do want to make this like my lifelong, you know, hobby or career yeah. or whatever it is. And I have this, I guess you could call it a dream that uh, I really want to get property and create what, what I would call a catwalk. And it's these, you know, these little huts with cats that, you know, when they're ready for adoption, they can go in and you can walk this boardwalk. And when you see a cat or kitten, that's like, oh my gosh, I, I want, I want to interact with this cat. You can book, you know, book a time. That's great. Come play with this cat or kitten, and then you know, adopt it that way. Um, that like a cat, property. like a like a cat sanctuary. Yeah, but I also want to incorporate it into um, something better and bigger. I want to give um, troubled youth the opportunity to volunteer and get not only help the cats, but it, it comes from a therapeutic standpoint that a lot of people who deal with anger issues and loss and struggle with mental health, they benefit from, you know, access to cats and animals. So have a volunteer program or a program that works with youth who need to do, you know, service or, you know, yeah, volunteer yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. Give them the opportunity to come work with the cats. What a wonderful or, you know, concept. Yeah, or even people who, you know, are leaving um, juvenile facilities or adult correctional facilities Sometimes they have to do community service. Why not bring their community service, community service into a therapeutic standpoint? Well, there are there are organizations that do that, <clears throat> uh, various organizations that do that with dogs. Like I know, I was on the board of the Salvation Army in another city for a while, and they have uh, a, a, a satellite program called their Therapy Dog uh, Program. Uh, where yeah. they take dogs to um, institutions or to uh, senior citizens' homes or or whatever, and it's a it's a very 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 effective psychologically uh, uplifting program. It is, and and I can see, and and in that case, the dogs go to the go to the people. But in this case, that sounds like a fabulous I idea. And what do you? What do you need? How can we help you? What are your like? What, what's your to-do list? And like, I have a thousand questions to make that happen. Um. Well, right now the first start is offsetting, you know, our costs, and that just means more donations to our vet for the vet bills. We are, you know, we are quite a bit behind in vet bills over the last, you know, couple months. So direct um, e-transfers to our vet. We have. Right. Um, an Amazon wish list with supplies that are crucial to what we do. Um, and then I have a personal um, Pretty Paws rescue email that accepts e-transfers for other supplies that we can't get from Amazon. Um, donations are the biggest things we need, as well as fosters. Fosters okay, are huge. How, do, how, do does the fo how does the foster thing work? Um, so essentially how the fostering works is if you have a spare room, um, or no other animals. So if you have other animals, you need a spare room to be able to isolate in case there's anything that's contagious, like parasites, fleas, sure. sickness. Yeah. Um, you know, we can help supply food and cages and bowls with, you know, what we have, but essentially a, a, a bathroom, uh, you know, a bedroom that isn't being used, a basement that isn't being used. Um, and then just have the idea that, you know, this, this cat could be adopted, you know, in a month, could be mm -hmm. adopted in four months. You know, we have... We have a few kittens that are still waiting for, for homes and have been for you know a couple months. It's patience. It's willing to work with cats. You know, some of the cats okay. are feral. 
Okay. There's a lot to it. It's not a small. Oh subject. no, no, I, I, I'm not yeah. minimizing at all. I'm sure there's a lot to it, and I was going to ask. There's a lot. You, I was going to ask you about the the feral cat situation because you must have, uh, <clears throat> and by by feral, a lot of people might not know what that means. It's basically called they're wild. Yeah. Um, and um, and and oftentimes they're a little bit difficult to to tame, or sometimes they don't play nicely with others. And um, so that, that's got to be a challenge as well. Uh, how many cats do you have in your house right now? Oh, gosh, darn Oh, it. gosh. We're just not having luck today. Yeah, uh, Lee, when she comes back here, we, when we reestablish this connection, um, I want to make sure that... <laughs> uh, sorry, Angie, we just lost you there for a second. So I'll let you no answer worries. that. And then after that, if you wouldn't mind, it's Kevin behind the scenes here. I know you don't see me. Um, what really brought you to us in the first place was your involvement in this cat rescue. Oh, yeah, the, the, day, the main cat. <laughs> yeah, a day or two ago, and, and maybe you can explain how, how that all played out. But uh, wrap up your question that Lee asked you about the feral cats, and then yeah. if you would, just talk about the actual cat rescue that took place in St. Catharines. Isn't that, isn't, isn't that funny? Because I got so interested... I got sure. so I got so interested in your business that I forgot about the story that we started with. So, uh, answer the feral cat question okay. first of all. Um, so, I think the last question I heard was how many cats I have. Yeah, uh, I have four of my own. Um, St. Catharines has a legal limit of eight, so I've left room to be able to bring some some in for me to work with as well. All right. Um, Feral cats are they're a little bit more difficult to work with. You have to be prepared to get bit and scratched. And, well, yeah, for sure. You know, you have to be really, really patient. And as for the cat, um, as for the cat that we that the story is about. Yes. Um, yeah. So Raina, who runs the um, Lost and Found Pets of Niagara, uh, my mentor, my you know one of my closest friends, um, she contacted me while I was out saying, "Hey, there's a cat stuck in the tree. Can you call these companies?" All these companies were closed. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go pop by, and I'm in my UGG slippers, uh, you know, not dressed to be climbing a tree at all. Right. But I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go take a look, see what I can do. Okay. When I got there, Mac was already, you know, up in the tree, and I look, and I'm like, he doesn't have a carrier or a blanket. How is he gonna get the cat down? So I, I turned and asked the the owner uh, if she had a carrier or a blanket that we can wrap the cat in and secure it because he can't carry it down scruffed by the neck or, you know, loosely yeah. secure. It'll get spooked and it can knock him out of the tree. So she hands me she hands me um, her carrier bag and a blanket and I climbed up with them and I hand him off the carrier and he's he's sitting at the branch and he's like, come on, come on, get into the bag. And she climbed right into the bag. Uh, so he zipped, he zipped the bag up and he hands the bag down to me and I start, you know, just climbing down the tree and then I hand a, I couldn't quite hand off, off the bag so I hooked it onto my foot All and right. I dropped my foot down with the bag. Okay. Um, and then, we, and then Mac and I just both climbed down and we're like, yay. Now who's this, who, who is this Mac person? Mac is the arborist that had brought a ladder and already started climbing the tree. Oh, so okay. he was already in the tree when I got there. So he was trying but, to get the cat already, but he wasn't. He wasn't properly equipped. Um, he was equipped with you know what he brought, what he knew. Um, yeah. You know, he was up there ready to carry it down, and I was like, no, let's get let's get a carrier bag, let's get with, a blanket, so we can at least wrap it up. Angie, with what you know about cats, why can they why can they always climb up and not climb down? 
I've so never like they, like yeah. I, I think of them like a squirrel. Like squirrels are up and down and flying around and all the rest of it. But a cat will get up there and then sort of feel stranded. Why? Why does that happen? So typically, when we see cats that are super super high up in trees, it's because they were chased up there. They are terrified enough to climb all the way to the top. Now. Jeesh. Not our daily. Kevin, the uh, the internet gods are not treating us kindly today. No, they're not. No worries. Um, yeah, so usually when they're when they're really high up, it's because they were chased. They were scared enough, enough to go all the way up. Yeah. Typically, you will not see cats climbing trees like that. It is because they are scared and running away from something. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye just for today. Yeah. Because you are fascinating. To, to me uh, on a lot of different levels and uh, I definitely want to speak with you again uh, I, I think um, I think you have taken your my sense is that you've taken your um, I don't know whether it's P PTSD or w whether it's uh, a sense of depression or whatever it is but it seems to me that you've gravitated this uh, what could be negative energy into a really positive, positive thing, and and I don't know. Um, we've we've frozen again there, Kev. Yeah, I think so. Maybe we just got to uh, bail on this. We're gonna we're gonna really. we're gonna bail, but she'll be back. <laughs> just yeah. Anyway, I want to talk to you. I wanna. I don't know if you can hear me or not. Nah, you know, I, I think we got it mostly said. And, yeah, but uh, I want, but I want to talk with her again. Yeah, I know. We'll uh, we'll see if we can we can uh, we can arrange that, Lee. But right now, everything's just uh, everything's just aborting us on the program. So okay, <laughs> everything is aborting us. <laughs> so do we have we have powers that are uh, beyond our control, uh, sabotaging the uh, uh, the episode? Yeah, pretty much. Now, what, what I can uh, what I can let you know is that our musical guest is going to be Steve Goldberger. He's from Niagara on the Lake, longtime musician. A lot of people probably know him. Um, not a new song, but very appropriate. New Year's resolution. It's about five years old, and uh, Steve recently reposted that to the internet. So figured we'd share with everybody else. Uh, you know, it's New Year's Lee, New Year's resolution, and. Uh, I resolve to uh, improve the internet connections for our program. Oh boy, I don't know that you. I don't know that you should go uh, guaranteeing that because that's not uh, that's not actually within your control. <laughs> um, thank you uh, to uh, Mayor Wayne Redekop of Fort Erie for coming on uh, the program. That's exactly the kind of thing that we appreciate. People clicking in and saying, "Hey, I want to bring your." Um, I, I want to bring your audience and our constituents up to date on what's going on. That was excellent. Thank you, Mayor Redekop, for that. And to Angie, uh, Angie Morley of uh, Purdy Paws Rescue, uh, just just Google Purdy Paws, please, and find out what uh, what they need. Because man, uh, she's she's throwing her life's uh, energy and and financing away here. I just wow. I just wonder how she survives. Um, Kevin Jack, as always, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure working with you, and glad we could uh, get this get this done for uh, New Year's season four, episode one. Gales Gas Bars, thank you for fueling this program, and uh, Verge Insurance for supporting the program as per usual. Um, thank you to Fiddler's Poorhouse. 
for allowing us to invade your space each and every week here on Niagara 411 Live with Lee Sterry. Uh, in spite of the fact that it's not golf weather, I'm wearing the original Australian golf hat, courtesy of Beau Chapeau Hat Shop in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Thank you to Kevin uh, Newfeld and his staff for supporting us as well, and Happy New Year to all of you. Um, Kevin, uh, we're going to say ta-ta, and uh, here's Steve to play us off the stage. Cheers, everybody. solution.